Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Lily Allen Duenas. Together, we'll talk about the world of yoga and we'll talk to people from around the world. I wanted to also let you all know that I will be teaching yoga online this year. Classes will be live streamed on a platform called Moxie, and I have $25 off coupons to send you, valid in January. And I would love if you could join me for a class to help you feel centered, refreshed, and filled with ease. Ready to dive into the show? Let's get started. Lena Dial has been practicing yoga for 25 years and teaching yoga since 2007. She received her first yoga teacher training in Australia and started her journey with yin yoga with Sarah Powers and then with Sebastian Puchel and Muriel Bruett. Bruyel. She went to complete a restorative yoga teacher training with Judith Lassiter. Currently, Lena teaches yoga in Berlin, where she focuses on inquiry and awareness-based yoga, which can take both softer and stronger forms, always circling back to building greater autonomy and agency, self-awareness through tender and compassionate self-inquiry. Thank you so much, Lena, for joining me on the show today. Hello, hello. Hi, Lily. So I am so excited to dive into you and your story and your relationship with yoga. Uh, The more I read about you, the more I've Googled, the more conversations we've had, the more I haven't been able to contain this excitement. So to kick off the conversation, let's hear how yoga first came into your life. Um, to be honest, that part was, um, a complete, um, accident. I think, um, I had a coworker who liked a guy and she found out that this guy is going to a yoga class and she, she basically just begged me to go with her as we were going to go, so to speak, spy on him. So we went to this, um, yoga class that was held at the back of a gym there was an aerobics class before the yoga class. So when you walked into the room, it was all kind of foggy from the sweat and jumping before all the, there was one wall that was all complete mirrors and you had this pumping music coming in from the gym that was right next door. And, uh, and that was my first yoga experience. It happened to be Kundalini yoga, which at that time I didn't know there were different types of yoga. And I basically, I just knew nothing about yoga other than after that first class that I kind of grudgingly went along with, um, I just, I just hadn't felt what I felt before. And so I actually kept going back. That was no longer about spying that guy, but, um, I just, yeah, I just kept going for years and years. I had... Tuesday and Thursday evenings were my yoga evenings. Um, And it was at a time in my life when uh, I was working in a corporate world. And um, I think kind of a couple of years into practicing, I had a breakup that I kind of took really hard. And so um, it was that class that twice a week was some kind of a refuge for me, which I didn't know how to put into words back then I had none of my friends were coming no you know they just accepted that this is what Lena does twice a week um I was also very much at a mindset of work hard (laughs) play hard um so the way I reacted to my then breakup in my early 20s um was basically um partying hard and um and drinking and all of that kind of thing. At the same time, my career was on a kind of a fast track. So I was also working really hard. And uh, yeah, so it was kind of this uh, weird mix there. But my yoga class was this, yeah, it was like this sacred thing, which, you know, as I said before, I, I didn't word it like that. And my teacher, I don't know if it was like, knowingly how like she didn't bring a lot of philosophy in because I I think back then I would not have been able to like take that in but it was it was just I was just kind of trusting the process and I remember every time I would drive back 
um, home from the class or to a party <laughs> afterwards. Uh, the way I would describe it is I had this stupid grin on my face for no reason. Like that was kind of that first glimpse of some sort of contentment in that very chaotic part of my life. Um, yeah, that was not uh, dependent upon like something external or something that I had, you know, bought or received or done. Um, it was just there and then it would fade and then I would need to go back. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I can completely relate to that that kind of silly grin on the face, that kind of like melty glue, like melty gloppy glue, you know, that you just feel kind of light and airy, but melty at the same time. Yeah. 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 So I would love to hear Lena, how you feel that our relationship with yoga and our practice, um, how that shapes how we actually do act out into the world. So that has also like over the, over like, what did I say? 25 years of practice. I think that has also changed because that those first years, so I kind of, I think I practiced for about six years, um, doing simply that just going twice a week. And that, that, that was, that was my yoga. I didn't practice on my own. I sometimes tried and I just kind of, it, it wasn't the same. I needed that group class. But, um, I think back then what the influence was, it, um, the effect, what it had back then was a little bit like a bandaid, but it did, you know, so for momentarily, because I didn't, she, back then I didn't have any like self-inquiry tools or self-reflection tools that were given me with yoga. So I did the practices, we did the breathing. If you know Kundalini, there's a lot of like energetics involved. So it kind of makes you a bit high. <laughs> That's the grin. Um, and um, there wasn't a whole lot of self-reflection happening so or not a whole lot of self-awareness happening um, back then and as I said maybe I wasn't ready for that like I wasn't ready to take that in but I think something internally in me um, started to shift and change and um, I remember back uh, back then there was like this question this nagging question at the back of my head uh, that just wouldn't let go. It was like, there has to be more to life than this. And I don't know where that question came from, but I think it, I don't think my kind of, again, I don't think my teacher back then worded it like that, but it was just like, I was like, so I'm going to do, I'm going to work from nine to five and I'm going to do a good job and I'm going to be really good at my profession. And then I'm going to get a house and then I'm going to get married and then I'm going to have kids. And And I was like, some something's missing, like something in this track that I was on, because I was very much on that track back then in my twenties. I was like, there's something missing here. There's a, there's a, there's, I don't know. Now I can maybe philosophize around that, but I didn't have a context back then how to think about this question that was kind of in me. That could be like one of the reasons why I eventually, in my late 20s, I was 29 when I took a sabbatical from my work um, and kind of, um, yeah, took a deep dive. <laughs> um, but um, later on, obviously, after studying um, more and when my practice kind of shifted and adding meditation to it and, and a little bit more like or a lot more context around that. Yeah, of course it is. Um, I don't see um, my practice and life like two separate things. I always, uh, or the way I teach these days, there's always an overlap. There always needs to be like what what we do on the mat. It has you have to be able to apply that in life, or when I design a class, or how what I want to teach is often influenced like what's happening in the world or what's happening in our lives or what is the I don't know what is the season we in so how can I make what we do on the mat really really relevant to like day-to-day -day life yeah I think that's such a something I focus on as well as off the mat <laughs> you know the practice on the mat is very is important but it's off the mat where it really 
you know, it marinates and it presents itself. And when you're able to kind of use some of those mindfulness techniques or some of the yamas and niyamas, or just the ability to cultivate more stillness, I mean, there's so many gifts I think that come from the practice. Um, is that kind of what you're referring to as well? I'm referring to that. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess my, my recent, <laughs> Uh, obsession has been a lot around like I've done quite a bit of study in the last couple of years into nervous system and so a lot of the things like uh, we can talk about philosophy and um, and and uh, and I like when it starts to kind of click together that some of the things that I have um, learned either uh, about yoga philosophy or um, Taoism or Buddhism and then you kind of start to see and now when studying about our biology like our like basic like physical reactions I'm like oh okay so there's also like a very kind of like a scientific um very tangible um application of that so what I mean by that is um is for example when we talk about nervous system then then our ability to be present in the moment has to do with our nervous system capacity, our nervous system's resilience um, to be here. Uh, and, and this is something that we can train. This is something that, um, um, you know, we inherently have. Every one of us has a very unique nervous system patterning. Um, but, you know, you can you can change that just like our this neuroplasticity our brain patterns can change it's a similar thing with our nervous system for that's just one example and uh that's really empowering and my mind really like um how do i say it like i really like when there's these two worlds that that are coming together that like the spiritual side of it um kind of comes together with the science or the the biology and there's like several ways and several levels that you can you can look at things and um, how you can also then offer it out or how you can teach it so that's also what really excites me (laughs) oh my gosh me too the neuros um the the nervous system and how um the parasympathetic or sympathetic or activated and what yoga can do for not just as people usually think the musculoskeletal system of our body or cardiovascular, but what yoga can offer to our endocrine system, our GI system, our, even our respiratory or reproductive, like there's, it just, it's all connected and it's something I really enjoy digging into as well. I'm Mm -hmm. there's, yeah, it just goes on and on and on what we can learn. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I would love to also talk a little bit about yin yoga here because I know there's so many benefits for activating the um, the nervous system as well. You know, kind of turning off that sympathetic relationship uh, or sympathetic nervous system response and kind of activate more of the, the parasympathetic for rest and digest with um, with yin yoga. So I know you've practiced kundalini, vinyasa, and other types of yoga as well. And it seems like yin yoga has really where your heart lies. So can you tell our listeners about your love for yin yoga and also talk about what is the essence of yin yoga? Maybe a little comment from that, like um, something that might be interesting to people maybe who are just starting out or when there's like all these different styles and and, um, things like that. Um, As I said, like I initially didn't know that there were even different styles of yoga and um, it was somewhere along the way. that I started to kind of explore. And uh, that mentality that I had that I spoke about in my late 20s, um, well, all throughout my 20s, this like no pain, no gain mentality a little bit that I applied in my in my work that essentially burned me out. And that's why I took a sabbatical, uh, which I never returned from. <laughs> but that's uh, that's a longer story. Um, but I took that mentality into my practice. And this is something that I really kind of want to point out that um, oh, sometimes yoga gets kind of like 
shown in this light of like this holy grail that you arrived and then you know you start to do these practices and all of your problems will solve and there's this shiny goal at the end of the you know at the end of the path of enlightenment and you know once you awaken you are whole and complete and and that picture and in my experience that's that's not true uh all of my patterning that i you know had in my you know i'm making ear quotes you can't see in my previous life that came right along with me onto my mat. So one of them being like perfectionism, for example. I love how Brene Brown talks about perfectionism. Like we seem to think that per- perfectionism is, is something like us striving to be our best. And she points out that no, 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 that's not what it is. It's a shield. It's like a shield that you lug around to protect yourself. And in fact, that shield is actually something that weight of perfectionism is something that's actually preventing you from taking flight. And when I when I read that, I was just like, wow. And it's something that I've been tackling um, years and years and years. So I took that mentality with me into my my practice. So um doing the teacher training and and um when when I was um in Australia during my sabbatical and then continuing teaching and continuing practicing, I was very driven, like super disciplined and super driven. A lot of tapas, which is like this inner fire, this inner discipline. That was that same mentality came with me also to all of my meditation. So like my first meditation retreat ever was a 10-day vipassana and the thing what made me sign up for that was like this is gonna be freaking hard and that was like what lit everything up in me yeah yeah I need to put myself through that fire and I'm not I'm not looking back and going oh well that was wrong or bad or I I took a wrong path or something No, no I think that was all kind of like it was part of my journey. Like there was something in me that I kind of needed to burn through. But essentially it kind of, there was this breakthrough moment for me uh, about five, six years into my practice and teaching. Well, it was into my teaching and I had been practicing for about 10 years by that time. When I kind of saw through it, it was like this glimpse, this glimpse of a moment where I where I went like, hang on, who's practicing here? And um, it was my strong willpower. You can call it ego. I don't, I don't do the ego bashing thing either, but it was my strong willpower. The willpower that I, the, the part of me that was already really, really strong was practicing with me on the mat. Once I kind of saw through that, there was this, um, quite a period of free fall because I didn't really know where do you move from when I don't move from that perfectionist, got to get it right, got to improve, got to fix myself. When I don't move from that mindset, like where do I move from? And I think it was Yin came in around that time. Um, And I think I had really good teachers. My first workshop uh, was with Sarah Powers that just opened my eyes to a different mindset. Um, and that's, uh, in a long-winded way, that's how I'm now coming to um, what yin, what's the essence of yin to me. So yeah, initially for me, yin as well was like these long-held postures and it was also challenging. So I think that's also what um, drew me in because my first yin class, I didn't like it at all. I was like, my mind was the whole time judging and going, what the heck is this? And da, 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 da. And I had my, you know, old understanding of anatomy. You know, sometimes when you come to a practice and you have a baggage of knowledge, sometimes it can be an obstacle. So I was like, no, well, you you're not supposed to do this and that. And um, once I was able to kind of set that aside a bit, I think it was again in the same way, like my first Kundalini, like my mind was resisting, but my body was saying like, yeah, 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 we're onto something here. Uh, So I kept going. Um, But um, yeah, so the essence to me no longer is just like, oh, it's long held postures and, you know, there's health benefits to connective tissues and all of that is there but what excites me is the the shift as I said the shift which 
I'm still working on. I'm, you know, I think for me, it's going to be a lifelong path of how to be in this moment, allowing things to be as they are, which is not in action, which is not being passive, but it is allowing for this moment of this moment of reflection and um, type of a surrender. But again, it's not like a like giving up. But before I jump in and go, like, I need to somehow fix what is, can I allow for what is? Like, can I really make space for that? And in life, it, of course, it includes also being with the whole range of human emotions and, you know, life situations. It involves being with loss, being with pain, going into the darkness. On the mat, I don't advocate, you know, going into pain, but we are in a yin practice, we are being with a certain amount of discomfort. Like it's, it's, it's partly there, right? And also for some people, simply being still is is new and somewhat uncomfortable. So that's, you know, their edge. And so so that's the kind of the interplay that I I again kind of excites me because we live in a yin deficient world, right? Like when we when we look and, you know, we, we've come actually, maybe uh, I need to rephrase that because after our, you know, two year of um, lockdowns, not lockdowns, like for a lot, like that's a big yin phase for the whole world. Um, and for some people, this has been a big moment of stopping and pausing and for others not because then, you know, on top of your work, you, you know, homeschooling your kids and all of that. So I'm not can assume what this period has been for people. But um, in general, I think we live in a yin deficient world and a lot of our actions out in the world are not grounded in our deepest essence. And um, that's why we find ourselves in situations um, we in, whether it's in our individual lives or in our collective lives. And so I know it sounds a little bit maybe grand, <laughs> but um, like deep down, that's what motivates me is if we are able to um, connect to ourselves more deeply, be in our discomfort, turn towards like our own wounding our own past that has not been integrated, like all of that to me is turning towards yin. And so then an action that can arise from that space is an action that's grounded in yin. And I think the my hope is that the actions that come from that deeper place of connecting to yourself are also actions that are not just for my benefit, but for the benefit of a wider, wider good. So I often look at the the spiritual practice for me these days is not just like with my own like spirit or my own depth. But I love this concept that comes from um, many indigenous cultures and more like shamanic concept of like me connecting deeply is also starting to connect me to like horizontally um, uh, to my wider community of, you know, my fellow trees and animals and the winged ones and the four leggeds and my mountains and, you know, it's just like this whole life on earth. And so can you imagine like when we can tap into that and not in our, in our minds, but in our bodies, feel that connection. And I get teary eyed when I talk about it because that that connection comes with quite a lot of grief for me because of, you know, how we how we treating um, this this wider community of ours is is horrific, really. Um, but can you imagine when we can start to kind of live from that place that we viscerally feel that connection? And my actions, my decisions, my choices out in life come from that place. Like, 
it would be a different world. <laughs> um, so yeah, a bit grand, but um, gotta aim high. <laughs> oh, that was that was beautiful to hear you talk about Lena. And I agree that we are in a yin deficient world. Given I, although the pandemic has certainly, you're right, been a big cycle of yin, but it. It is, we're fast paced, we're consumers, we're go, 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 think less, you know, like in a way, think less, do more, even though I know we all rely on our logic and our prefrontal cortex way too much to make our decisions um, instead of going deep into our, you know, our, our animal body. And I, I love that you also are a fan of Mary Oliver. I saw that in your newsletter that your quote for autumn um, being about um, you know, those, those, the trees and turning into pillars of light. And uh, she's, a, she's a gorgeous poet and also, um, I know, passionate about the natural world, which you are as well. Yeah, she's the best nature poet, I think. It's just the, it's the way she describes nature. And poet poetry is kind of a way to pass on something that can't be put into words, but there are these amazing beings from time to time who, who try that. <laughs> and so it more kind of passes on um, a felt sense, an embodied experience, I find, like good poetry tries to do that. Yeah, there's so much reverence, I think, for in her words and tenderness and how she sees the extraordinary in the ordinary. Yeah, yeah. So I, I know, I know maybe it's a little random, but I would love to ask Lena, what do you think is something people get wrong about yin yoga? Cause I know there's a lot of misconceptions out there or people just take some guesswork into it. So I thought that'd be fun to ask you. To me, it's not like, it's not passive. There's so much happening, <laughs> even though it seems like nothing's happening. And, um, there's so much that you can, um, find out about yourself and I think sometimes I see it practiced in a very um <laughs> in a, with a with a kind of a young mindset is that five minutes I have the five minutes on the clock and I'm you know gonna be here and I'm not gonna move and um that kind of misses the point like there needs to be this this gentle dance with your own limits with your own interior and it just needs to have that tender compassionate inquiry with it I, I find for me for um for it to kind of have the effect that it that it that it has that it the potential that it has um but of course when I say this like I can I can really kind of remember um I used to kind of approach it like that a little bit in the beginning. So maybe it's just like this, this process. And, and I also like really encourage people to, um, this is what we try to do with our yin training. Um, I'm doing a, a teacher training together with a good friend and colleague of mine, Valerie Hartwich. And we are absolutely not interested in like, creating teachers who are who think exactly like us and who teach exactly like us like absolutely no like at the very core of our training whether these are people who are just passionate about in or whether they want to become teachers at the core of it is for everyone to find out for themselves like what yin means to them Yes, there's this universal. We can we can talk about Taoism and we can talk about like yin and yang theory and all of that. But I think it will start to have a true meaning to you where you can kind of see like, what is your relationship? How do you interpret that? Where does that show up in your life? And then it becomes like this very alive inquiry. So there's, there's not no one, there's not one right answer, uh, how, what, what yin is or um, what it can give. And it also is something that well, as I've seen in my own practice, it changes over time. So obviously that's going to be also true for everyone else. So it's good to kind of check in from time to time, be a little bit more um, bold in not just relying on what someone is telling you, how it is or how it should be or 
you know, again, that there's, it doesn't get dogmatic because the core teachers are not dogmatic. Like that's what I love about it is like Paul Grilly is absolutely not a dogmatic teacher. Um, that's the lineage where my, my teachers come from. Neither is uh, Sarah Powers. And so that's what I love about this lineage, that there is a lot of room for interpretation and application. And I also appreciate that experimentation in yoga, where you're really just, you are the quote unquote, yeah, like yogi scientist, right? Where you're just trying to figure out, okay, what am I feeling? Is this really the right alignment for my body and the way my bones are put together? <laughs> you know, there's there's so much that's so individual. And I think we have to be careful as yoga teachers to not be teaching to quote unquote, like one body, you know, to each individual. Yeah, I think that's a big maybe change that yin yoga has brought to the wider yoga community as well. And Paul Grilly's work on, on um, human skeletal variation. And um, it's now everywhere. It's I, obviously skeletal variation is not limited, like only when you practice yin, it's whatever you practice. And it's it's a big shift when you start to make that shift from a very strict like alignment based practicing or teaching um, to trying to get people to feel into their own specific unique bodies um, but I think that that's that's necessary or at least that's how I orient so it's not just in my yin practice but it's also in my movement based more flowy practices, it's similar. Um, creating a container, it's not uh, saying that, uh, I'm not saying alignment doesn't matter. I'm not saying that do whatever you want. I'm not saying that either. So there is certain information that I have about body that I can pass on, but uh, it's um, it's definitely not that your toes need to be pointed that way and your knee needs to be on top of blah, 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 all of that. Um, and it is trickier to teach like that, this in this way, um, to get people to um, interested and curious and feeling into what's actually there and not, um, not instructing, <laughs> but kind of facilitating. Yeah, it's been also a journey to kind of, yeah, yeah, find ways how to bring that into group classes. Yeah, it involves a lot of unlearning, for me at least, a lot of unlearning. Because in the U.S. where I first started learning yoga, it's you hear the same phrases on repeat. Don't let your knee go past your ankle. You know, different things about alignment where you just think, oh, that must be true. <laughs> There's so much unlearning. And um, I know that Bernie Clark uh, has amazing books out there with uh, the, Your Spine, Your Yoga, and a guide on yin yoga. And he's been just incredible in my process of unlearning. And Lena, uh, I've heard you mention before that yoga can be a spiritual bypass, which is magnified in our current times. And I know we kind of talked a little bit about being careful of viewing yoga as the holy grail, and, you know, being a little bit more uh, mindful, but I would love to hear more about um, you talking about how yoga can be a spiritual bypass. What I would be careful with is when, as I said, when yoga is kind of um, offered as is this all-in-one cure, or when yoga is um, talked about in terms of um, only light and bliss and, and, and as if that's the goal, as if that's um, where we're heading, is that our practice at one point is going to take us to a place where, um, you know, we'll be, we'll be blissful and happy all the time, high vibes only type of a type of a mentality. And I bought into that for, um, for a bit. <laughs> I would really kind of, um, it's that similar kind of track that I went down on before, like what really got me excited about yin and this wider interpretation of yin of of life including like my whole humanness 
uh, is welcomed <laughs> and is okay. And so my practice is not about um, shutting parts of me down and then using using my kind of spiritual, using my practice as a way to do that. So basically my practice, like even to a point like my practice always trying to get me to a place of calm and some neutrality. So even with equanimity, for example, like um, was it, I was really happy to hear, um, was it Sharon, uh, Sharon uh, Salzberg, who's a Buddhist teacher, and she was also um, defining, um, defining it equanimity, not like this, this kind of um, static place of calm where nothing in the world, what happens can really phase me. And um, I'm always like centered. And she was more saying in a similar way, like I was saying before about nervous system, like being able to be with fluctuations of life, being able, able to allow different emotions. And then um, the, the, the capacity to hold that also to me, that doesn't mean that I'm always calm. I get angry. And anger is a very necessary emotion that ignites and creates change. Um, and then, yes, I'm sad and I'm grieving when I'm losing something that I care about. Like, as I said before, I'm feeling grief every day when I admire the beauty of nature. And then, you know, when I when I see cruelty against animals, I, I feel sad and I feel grief because I care. Um, and so I'm not trying to like hide from those um, feelings or somehow my practice is not about like trying to get away from those feelings into my nice, placid, calm state, but it actually is for me to be able to feel them, not get stuck in them. Someone was um, describing, I love that description of emotions and being like tunnels that you move through. And and it, it becomes a problem when you get stuck in that tunnel. And that's also like the stuff of body keeping score, like things that we haven't been able to feel through, get stored in the body. There's a lot of that from our past that lives in our body. So all of that concept, all, all of those ideas as well. but. Um, yeah, so that's basically one way that I, um, I think about it and feel about it, that my, my practice is not about avoiding life. It's not about transcendence. Like I, I feel myself like it's important in these days that as many of us start to kind of slowly step by step waking up while we're living our lives while we are out in the world and it's not that model of i'm on a mountaintop and meditating and um withdrawing from the world which you know some some people's path that is but i think again the current state that we're in needs people waking up in their lives in this world and and making change and in order to make change as i said like anger is um is a spark like you don't want to be fueled by anger you don't want to like drive all the way through with anger through um through your action because that's a very depleting way to do things but you kind of like you you need that spark right so each of these emotions like they have their function they activate something in us and um so my practice is more like recognizing that and also for for my own personal practice talking about anger it's like i need to make a relationship with that because i've grown up with um a story that anger is bad and i'm not supposed to feel it um and for me to actually it would be very easy to play this calm calm uh spiritual person game because I have a lot of calm in me and sometimes I kind of actually need to um, work on that opposite of like lighting that fire um, a little bit more. 
Thank you for sharing. Yeah, that's, uh, it's fantastic awareness. And to be, I also have had an interesting relationship with anger. So as like Thich Nhat Hong says, you know, it's something to embrace like a child. So to really be very tender with those feelings that we really want to avoid, ignore, run away from, as you said, embrace the entire human experience and really see if you can hold those parts like a child, um, like a mother with a very tender, I'm here, I'm listening. What are you telling me? What do I learn? I I really have, I come along, I feel like I've come a long way. (laughs) I'd like to say that. Um, but I think I've made progress at least. And I found a lot of solace with of Thich Nhat Hanh's words. Um, so at this point, Lena, I ask this question to every single guest. Um, it's the last tough one, I hope. What is your definition of yoga? You you leave the good one for the, for the last. Um, I can have a short one. It's um, moving with awareness is how I often think about like my movement-based or kind of like asana-based practices that I teach is moving with awareness and of course um, we can same like with yin yoga is not simply your um, asana practice there's a a whole wide um, field Um, yeah but I think I can't say it better like even out in the world actually it's like moving with awareness is there's a certain alignment where my intentions my my thoughts my actions begin to align and there is a type of oneness when when that happens and it's not as simple as it sounds because also part of the unearthing and part of our practice is part of that awareness building is to become more and more aware of like what are these undercurrents like what are these things that are actually pulling the strings below your conscious awareness because um that what actually matters um and what shapes um how you act and what choices you make and so it's kind of like this slow patient peeling away of 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 layers is is part of your practice part of your self-inquiry is um why am i really doing this And, and not just letting that surface level why the the beautiful why that we you know present ourselves present to the world and um, even like why you practice we've um i've just been through um six-month mentorship course with naomi absalom called liberate and it was amazing and a lot of the things that we looked at was exactly that like what's what goes below the radar Yes, I have a beautiful story here why I practice yoga or why I chose to become a teacher. But there's usually something underneath that. And so sitting with that and becoming more aware of that is actually when um, I, again, similarly, as I was saying, when I become aware of those undercurrents, when they come to the light of consciousness, is, is then I truly can then that's when I truly have actually choice. That's when I actually truly have freedom to make choices that, you know, I don't have these uh, strings being pulled by something, you know, from my past or or any of those um, hidden agendas there. And it's not as if those hidden agendas are kind of evil. Um, but what I mean is um, they will influence on how we act in the world or as a teacher it will influence what i will bring in the room with me uh how i project out to other people um you know my need for validation or those sorts of things so yeah short definition would be <laughs> moving with awareness like greater awareness and then yeah you had you had a long-winded one <laughs> after that as well Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I I think that was the short and the long were perfect. <laughs> 
Have you heard of Moxie? Are you experiencing Zoom fatigue? Join me on Moxie for live streamed yoga classes complete with warm-up and cool-down rooms. I'm teaching morning yoga classes and leading yoga challenges here in January, and I'd love for you to join me. Moxie is the leading fitness online platform where you can work out with coaches and trainers or take yoga classes with teachers like me, online or through the app. Head over to moxie.xyz slash wildyogatribe to get started. That's M-O-X-I-E dot X-Y-Z slash wildyogatribe. There's a link in the show notes or on my website. See you there. And also, I, I love to focus a little bit uh, on Estonia, on the country you're actually from. Could you tell our listeners um, what Estonia is like, what it's known for? Um, we'll just kind of pretend they've, they really know nothing about it. <laughs> they, they might be experts on Estonia. I don't know. But let's just pretend that we're speaking to people with very little awareness. Estonia is a tiny country. We only have um, 1.4 million people. And it's about the size of, I don't know, Netherlands or Switzerland. So if you think like I always uh, draw that comparison that I think Netherlands has like 17 million people or something. And so we only have 1.4. So a lot of space in a sense, like in the countryside. Um, A lot of the people live in the capital. Uh, Tallinn is the capital. We are north, so we like to cluster ourselves part of Northern Europe. Uh, Often we get clustered with Eastern Europe because of our history um, being part of Soviet Union for 50 years. But I think our temperament um, is is much more closer to like Finnish people and Scandinavians. So we we can be a bit slower (laughs) to a point of stoic. quite introverted and uh yeah kind of the first appearance can sometimes be that we are a bit like cold uh, but i think uh, once you kind of get to know us i'm hoping <laughs> that we come across as um, quite open-hearted i hope um yeah we just i was just there this weekend and uh what are we known for um Skype was invented by Estonians, then at some point got sold. So we are very technologically um, advanced in a sense that when I moved to, well, when I'm in Germany right now or when I'm dealing with bureaucracy in Italy, oh my God, it's it, it drives me crazy because um, everything is like, you can do everything over internet in Estonia from, from voting to like any bureaucracy that you need to do. So it's kind of like uh, modernized in that sense because we started very fresh in the 90s when we got our independence and they were kind of young people um, running the country and, and uh, building the capitalism i guess um after communism and so we kind of started everything from scratch got a head start on the technology front so i think that's that's one thing and i was i was back i hadn't been back for two years and um i really recommend visiting Tallinn because i was like a tourist in my own city there's a whole new part of town i was amazing by the by the sea and um yeah, like these really innovative ideas. Um, I was really kind of proud to walk around and I was like, yeah, 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 everybody should come and visit. Maybe from a yoga perspective, as I said, like when I started, there were no yoga centers. That's 25 years ago. And there might be something in gyms and somewhere in the back rooms or cellars somewhere. And now, of course, uh, there's yoga studios everywhere. So there's like everywhere else in the world. There's lots on offer. Do you think there's anything about your culture um, so focused on, you know, technology or innovation or, um, you know, with the history in the USSR, if there's, if there's anything, do you feel that yoga is particularly relevant, you know, supported by or challenged by um, in Estonia? I think that this, it's so needed by the U.S. because of that fast-paced go 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 do 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 bye 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 create 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 go 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 it's like this this just insane pace of of expectation and the, the i think people are just going 
really seeking yoga and seeking meditation and becoming more and more, um, you know, almost craving it in a way. I know that word is loaded, craving, but I think that my culture is craving yoga because it's just, we're exhausted. Yeah, but you got to be careful because a lot of the yoga that's offered, as I was saying before, like the a lot of the yoga that's offered is actually catering for a very similar um, mindset of like achievement and um, aesthetics and looking in a certain way or achieving a certain goal, and and that's that's you know that can that's what I often try to point out. Uh, because I've 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 done that in my own journey is often we choose the oh, who said that we choose the practice that enforces our neurosis. I don't remember who said that, but it's basically says that we're gonna gravitate towards a practice that is o- gonna strengthen something that's already strong within us. So whether it's a meditation practice or whether it's a physical practice. So kind of like having having that in mind when we like get really obsessed about um, like a certain lineage or a certain way of practicing is, is just being mindful of that. Is this really kind of creating an even stronger groove in something that's already a strong in me. So as I said, like initially, like this perfectionist aspect in me, like I, I had it, this disciplinary, inner disciplinary. I was like, yep, I've got my whip. I'm here. I'm on it, you know? And so for years I was actually like kind of drilling that part in me that was already strong. And, uh, and yeah, so just, and as I said, there's this, just calling some awareness around that and not saying that that path was wrong back then probably that was just the only path that I was able to take that was something that got me hooked and that that's good but having more teachers who have maybe awareness around that and can have the capacity the way they teach like bring these things and themes and inquiries along into the teaching rather than you know dogmatic teaching that has been very very prevalent in the you know the decades that that yoga has been present in the west um i think it's 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 good to kind of raise awareness around that i couldn't agree more absolutely and i do think that first you know what is attractive to a lot of people is what aligns with their own neuroses as you as you said and it's it's the gateway i, I know even the gateway can be instagram you know saying beautiful bendy pretzels and saying I want to be like that, or, or I don't, I don't know. There's so many different gateways, whether it's the gym and a tightness, whether it's an injury, whether it's insomnia. And I think people are gravitating towards what's most popular, what's we see the most, what we, you know, what aligns most with our own kind of dosha or own inclinations, um, and patterns. But I think it's, it is part of that journey as well to just find to become more aware of that, I think that's part of yoga is self-awareness. And I think that through, I was very similar to you. I am, I am very similar. I, that disciplinarian, that whip, that tapas, it uh, resonates for sure. And to be more mindful about, okay, is this serving me or is this serving the part of me that I don't think serves me actually? <laughs> it's kind of a mental Jenga, but it's something I think about a lot as well. So I'm, I'm grateful that that's something that you're bringing to light for our listeners. Mm. Well, as we also, how we show ourselves in social media, I mean, I'm conflicted about the whole social media anyway. It's a <laughs> constant struggle for me. Um, but there is lies a certain, like, um, as you were saying, like the, the depiction, like the main kind of view that is right now out there of like what yoga is 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 very like for me it's very alienating and it's very incomplete and very body centered and actually quite kind of alarming in a sense and so having more teachers um somehow 
take on the role of, I don't know if popularizing is the right word, but um, bringing voice to other aspects of it is 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 really important that's what i've been really lucky with here in berlin like the teachers that i'm i can sometimes get a bit um misguided in that sense that thinking that oh yeah we we're doing great in the yoga world because i'm really guided with very progressively thinking uh smart switched on teachers um here where we constantly talk about these topics and discuss it and um and um and it's really healthy um as teachers to be thinking about these things and not just kind of following oh well everyone is doing this so then i feel pressured as well that oh i got to you know go and do the photo shoot and post on instagram and you know do these things and i'm like going hang on no it doesn't that doesn't align with with um how I feel um, about this practice. Um, and sometimes that's hard because it's it's taking you um, off kind of this, um, you might lose some, uh, what I'm saying is like you might lose some people, uh, you might lose some followers. Um, you, um, but again, that, that can't be, for me, that can't be what I what I focus on. So I'm I'm kind of honing all of those fear, or when those fear bubbles um, pop up, um, you know, seeing what um, the popular teachers are doing or wh- whatever, you know, uh, and then trying to really kind of come back and go, hang on, stop. What's actually? What are you actually? Who you who you are? What is it that you want to offer? get clear about that and then stay true to that and keep keep checking in like keep checking in um i love again that um idea that authenticity um is not like it's not something you have it's not that i'm authentic and that person is not authentic but it's authenticity is a process and so um it's something that you know, I either prioritize and and engage in, or I don't. Um, and so I'm either practicing authenticity or I don't. But it's 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 not something I have or don't have. And in order to practice authenticity, I kind of need to have that self reflection there, from from moment to moment, from um, um, yeah, from day to day type of a thing, yeah checking in. I love hearing you say check in and check in, check in, because it reminds me so much of Lama Yeshe Rinpoche, check up, check up. (laughs) It was um, in a book that I read of his and we were studying at a meditation retreat in, um, I think that one was in India at um, Tushita. So it's always good to have a good reminder and to check, check in, check up. Um, and so Lena, I'm sure our listeners have just loved hearing your perspective and what you, you know, embody and offer. So would you talk to, or just let them know where they can find you online or in person and what kind of offerings you have? Of course, I'll link, I will link to everything in our show notes as well as on my website, wildyogatribe.com, but just, uh, letting them know would be great. Hmm. I think everything is on my website and it's simple. It's linayoga.com. Lina is with two eyes. And that's how we spell it in Estonia. Um, so everything should be there. I do quite a bit online um, these days. So I have a few kind of classes that I've kept and going to keep going to keep online, whether we um, open up or not. Uh, and uh, I think the most kind of exciting thing that is coming up is that yin training yin teacher training or yin immersion that i mentioned earlier on that i hold together with with my friend and um, co-teacher valerie who's um, a fascia expert and so we're bringing in many different kind of facets i mean i think you already got that that i 
I, I interpret, we interpret yin in a, in a very broad way and we trying to give a very broad scope uh, of our own experience, but then also um, facilitating and guiding uh, each person's own uh, reflections and inquiries around like what's yin for them and how, how they want to bring it into whatever field they in. And uh, yeah, and then each year I have a couple of retreats in Italy and hopefully again uh, next year again in Estonia. So if anyone got excited about Estonia with its a uh, lot of space and <laughs> emptiness uh, around you, then uh, that's usually in August every year. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lena, for joining me today. Thanks, Lily. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. My conversation with Lena Dial, a yoga teacher from Estonia, was so beautiful as we delved into Lena's journey with yoga. From a mindset of no pain, no gain, and work hard, play hard, to a place of tenderness and self-inquiry and the essence of yin yoga. I hope our conversation made you curious about becoming curious yourself about yourself (laughs) and about your own individual experience with yoga in your body, energy, and emotions. I also loved how Lena offered up gentle warnings about looking towards yoga as a holy grail or as a spiritual bypass. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. Be well. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you feel called, please share this episode with someone who you think could benefit from it. Leaving a review would also be so appreciated. Also, I hope you can join me for a yoga class on Moxie and take advantage of that $25 off coupon here in January. I'm doing morning yoga classes five times a week, including rise and shine yoga classes and even classes for people who say they can't do yoga. Links are in the show notes or on my website, wildyogatribe.com. See you there. And as always, be well, dear one, be well.